Hey, before we jump into the text today, I uh, got a couple things I want to share with you. Um, man, we've been blessed this way. Uh, a lot of folks from the Hispanic community have been attending OBC, and we're so thrilled about that. Um, so I said, hey, I want to meet with uh, some of those folks and find out how we can better uh, reach the Hispanic community. Um, and uh, one of the issues, of course, was uh, the language barrier. Um, I only speak English in the dialect of redneck. That's me. <laughs> and so, um, but we found some technology we can use. So it's going to work something like this. Um, so if you're uh, a Spanish-speaking individual and cannot understand English, um, we're going to have a person in a room in the back who will have a monitor watching me with a microphone and a transmitter. So when I speak, they're going to hear me translate into the microphone, which will be broadcast to some little receivers that anybody in the Hispanic community can pick up at the sound booth, and, uh, and they'll have earbuds, so they'll be watching me just like you sitting next to you, only they'll be hearing me in Spanish. And uh, so we want to, hey, listen, we want to help people love Jesus and everybody else in whatever language we can. Amen. And uh, so, and then, of course, we'll, when we're singing, this is all going to start uh, the first Sunday in January. When we're singing, there'll be words in Spanish and words in English. Uh, you can pick up an outline written in Spanish or in English. We're going to have greeters uh, who will have, instead of welcome, they'll say welcome in Spanish, uh, representing the Hispanic community. And so we, with everything in us, want to reach as many people as we can so that they can know Jesus. And if we can overcome a language barrier for them to do that, we need to do everything we can do. Amen, church? All right. So praise the Lord for that. Man, can't wait to see what God does. With that, that'll start the first Sunday in January. Also, um, yesterday, no, I'm sorry, day before yesterday, my son Stephen and his wonderful wife Rebecca uh, had a new little baby. His name is Everett Griffith. Are we able to do that? Yeah, here we go. There he is, Everett Smith Griffith. Man, isn't he something? Looks just like his grandpa. He's a. Uh, I don't know. It's just, is it just me or? Y'all think he looks like a preacher. I don't know. I'm just, just, I mean, it just seems that way to me. Anyway, we're very thankful. Aren't you guys thankful that we have a God of life? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's talk about Hallmark Christmas movies. So I've got this dilemma every year because my wife loves Hallmark Christmas movies. I mean, she's got a whole little thing, man. She gets a Christmas blanket sits on the couch right next to the Christmas tree, cuddles up under the, the, the Christmas blanket, watching Hallmark Christmas movies, and she is entirely uh, in the mode to receive in abundance Hallmark Christmas movie warm fuzzies. I mean, man, she's all about that. So I have this dilemma. Uh, now, it's not that I don't like Hallmark Christmas movies, but my dilemma is... I, can, I love sitting next to my wife. I sit down, get under the Christmas blanket with her, sitting right next to the Christmas tree. But here's my problem. All of them are alike. So three minutes into the movie, I already know what's gonna happen. And everything in me looks at Jenny, and I wanna say, you want me to tell you what's gonna happen? 
it's not about what's going to happen. And she gives me this look. She doesn't say these words, but I got the message. Shut up and watch the movie. All right, got it. So we do. Now, now there's a, there's a point to this. Now, here, here, here's the point. Just because something is familiar doesn't mean it has to lose its impact on our life. In fact, sometimes I get a little afraid that when it comes to celebrating the birth of Jesus, we have heard it so much, the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us, that it doesn't mean that much to us anymore. I fear sometimes that we have lost the wonder of the incarnation. That God came to earth as a baby. Because we can fall into the trap of, yeah, yeah, I get it, man. I've heard it all. Mary, Joseph, manger star, uh, angel, Bethlehem. The inn was full. Shepherds watching keep over the flocks by night. I mean, we get it. We've heard it all, right? I mean, I fall into that trap. In fact, I was whining to God about this earlier this week. God, this is the 31st time I've preached Christmas sermons here. I don't know what else to say. God said, shut up and preach the sermon. God and Jenny, you know, they're alive and they kind of both have that thing with me, man. I found out my life works a whole lot better when I listen to God and Jenny in that order. So my prayer is that we can allow God to use this very familiar story to help us, to help us recapture the wonder of the incarnation. God Almighty became a person in the form of a baby because he loves you and because he wanted to offer you the gift of eternal life. Hmm. You, you know, in the course of history, there are two world-shaping, history-shaking events that far eclipse all others. Jesus, the King of glory, left heaven to become a baby. The other is, Jesus, our Savior, humbly sacrificed himself for the sins of mankind, then conquered death three days later. The King of glory became a baby to become the Savior of the world, dying on a cross and conquering death once for all. That is who that baby was. It's so important that we don't lose the wonder of that. So in Luke's gospel, the Christmas story doesn't start out with Mary and Joseph, but with a priest named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, who were both related to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Just look at this. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abiah, 
and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. That is a big deal. Verse 6, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's command and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And they were both very old. So one day, Zechariah goes uh, to the synagogue to perform his priestly duties. And look what happens in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the incense altar. And Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You know, I love the fact, by the way, that Zechariah understands his wife's pain of infertility and he desires and prays for a baby just as much as she does. Uh, verse 14, uh, you will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord and he must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with, listen to this, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Now I want you to Make a mental note of that because we'll get back to that later. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. So today, we're going to see that what seems impossible to us is absolutely possible with God. So here's the question. What seems impossible to you in your life right now? Let me make it a little more personal and urgent. What do you need God to do for you now that seems impossible to you? So, what do we do? <laughs> what do we do when we need God? to do what seems impossible for us. There are a few things. When we need God to do the impossible, here's the first thing we do. Write this down. Don't doubt that God can. So let's go back to Zechariah's angel conversation. Luke chapter one, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man and my wife is also well along in years. Now stop right there. But you got to admire Zechariah's wisdom right here, right? I mean, he says to the angel, I'm an old man. Now my wife, she's just along in years. I mean, that is a wise guy, right? He ain't saying, my wife's old too, man. No, no, my, I'm old, but my wife, she's just along in years. All right, so um, if Zechariah lived today, you know what he'd do? He'd watch Hallmark movies with his wife. Verse 19. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. Now stop right there because this is one of those kind of fun, unique places in the Bible where we get a little bit of information. We get a little bit of glimpse 
into the angelic realm. Now, now we know, according to the Bible, that there are angels and there are demons and there's this whole unseen spirit world that is just as real as the world we live in. If God would just pull back the veil and let us see it, it'd blow our minds. I assure you, it's there. We just don't see it. But it's happening all the time and affecting all kinds of things on planet Earth and in our lives all the time. So Gabriel gives us a little bit of insight here, here in Luke's gospel. Um, so the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. Um, so there are only two angels in the Bible who are named. One is Michael, who is the archangel. Um, so that lets us know that there's order, there's structure. Apparently there are levels of authority in the angelic realm. Uh, so Michael is the head angel. I mean, uh, yeah, Michael is the head angel. He is the archangel in charge of all the other angels, the mightiest, the strongest. And Gabriel is the other angel that is named in the Bible. And he says he stands in the very presence of God. He's God's messenger. And he dispatches Gabriel to Zechariah to let him know I get it, you're old. I get it, your wife is along in years. But God is in the impossibility business. Look at verse 20. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Um, so, Zechariah was like, how's this possible? This is impossible. I don't know how this impossible thing is ever going to be possible. I'm old. My wife's along here. I don't, we're way past those years of having kids. So Gabriel says, you don't believe me. So you're going to be mute until the baby's born. Every time I read that, I think that probably wouldn't have been a bad thing for me when Jenny was pregnant. Because I kept saying stupid things when Jenny was pregnant. Look at it. Hey, baby, you are huge. Don't say that to your wife when she's pregnant, man. It would have been better if I would have got a little bit of this. All right, so Zechariah was a faithful, godly man. But he doubted if God could really do what seemed impossible to him. Ever been there? Do you need God to do for you what seems impossible. Hmm. You know where you start? Simply believing that he can. Here's why. Our impossibilities are necessary for God's possibilities, right? If we thought it was possible, we would never fear, we would never doubt, we wouldn't but we start with just believing God and then our impossibilities become the stage that sets for God's possibilities. I love 1 Corinthians 4.20 that says, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it's living by God's power. And we live with God's power by believing that he is God and that all things are possible with him. Here's another thing we have to do. If we need God to do the impossible for us right now, live a humble, God-centered life. Look what happens next. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. 
In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, that, that's really important. There's two important things there in that verse. One is she was engaged to Joseph. Now, like we saw last week, the Jewish betrothal in the first century was a legally binding act that required divorce to get out of, but they had not yet come together sexually because that didn't happen until they were actually married. But when they were engaged, man, they were locked in. The other thing that's really important there is that the text tells us that Joseph was a descendant of King David. So the Bible, especially the prophet Isaiah, gives us all these prophecies, all these predictions that Messiah would come from the lineage of David. So you got these things being fulfilled right here in this text. So um, verse 28 says, Gabriel appeared and said to her, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. So twice, Gabriel says to Mary that she was favored by God. Why was she favored? I mean, it's so easy to think that she must have done something really good to find favor with God. She must have been the godliest woman on planet Earth. I mean, but the text really doesn't say that. It just said she found favor with God. Now, let me jump into this a little deeper. Just stick with me here. So the Greek word for favor is keritao, and it comes from the root keros, which is grace. So the point is, God's favor on Mary wasn't something she deserved. It wasn't something she's earned. It was God's grace. Grace is something we get from God that we don't deserve. God favored Mary because he favored Mary. That's grace. She didn't earn it. She didn't deserve it. So the Bible also says, we are saved by keros, grace. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. God just shows his grace to us. Same thing here. God favored her because God favored her. That's grace. But there is one distinction here in the text about Mary that you can't miss. <laughs> the Bible makes this abundantly clear. She was a virgin. So three times in this encounter with Gabriel, the Bible says that Mary was a virgin. So, so we can say this. Mary's obedience and faith made it possible for her to be favored by God. The fact that she guarded her purity made her usable and favored in the hand of God. Her virginity also fulfills Isaiah the prophet's um, 
prophecy about the coming Messiah. Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That gets confirmed in Matthew chapter 1. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Uh, that was Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God left heaven. Messiah, the Lord Jesus, became a baby. So now God is with us, and his name is Jesus. Now, this is really important. So why, why is it so important in all the Gospels except Mark, who doesn't give a uh, birth account of Jesus? Why is it so important that we understand Mary was a virgin? Because that fulfills prophecy, but it's also more than that. You know, from the earliest uh, days of the church in all of our creeds, in all of our confessions, we believe Jesus born of a virgin. You see, because if Jesus is not born of a virgin, he is the result of an earthly union. And if Jesus is only the result of an earthly union, he inherited sin from his earthly parents, and he is not the Messiah that Isaiah the prophet predicted. And if Jesus is not the Messiah, he is not the sinless Lamb of God without spot or blemish. And if Jesus is not the sinless Lamb of God without spot or blemish, he is not an acceptable sacrifice for our sin. And if Jesus is not an acceptable sacrifice for our sin, we are still dead in our trespasses and sin, and hell is the only possible destination for our eternity. So do you see how big a deal the virgin birth is? Huge. And if Mary had not guarded her purity, she would not have been able to be used and favored by God in this way. So here's kind of a life principle. The more obedient we are to God, the more impact we can have for God. Now the opposite's true. Our disobedience and lack of faith can be the limiting factor that determines our lack of impact for God. That's why James said in James 1, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalties is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Listen now, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. Do you need God to do what seems impossible for you? Don't think for a minute you get that on your own terms. We start with humble obedience and faith. You need God to do what seems impossible for you. Here's another thing we have to do. Don't miss the big picture. Luke 1, verse 31. You shall conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. 
he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So there's five future facts there about Jesus. You'll conceive and give birth to a son. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him his throne, his, the throne of his ancestor David. So we'll get to that in just a second. Um, and he will reign over Israel forever. He'll be their Messiah. The kingdom, his kingdom will never end. You see, God does the impossible to fulfill his plan and show us his glory. God does the impossible for us, but uses it for his plan way beyond us. 2 Samuel 7, 16. So this is talking about David and his throne and his kingdom that the prophecy fulfilled in Luke's gospel, we get the whole picture. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this is God's promise to David that his fulfillment of an everlasting kingdom will be fulfilled through his descendant, Jesus. So God has a plan for Israel and God has a plan for his church. God is not finished with his plan for Israel and God is doing all kinds of stuff through his church. And you see that all through the scripture, those two things. By the way, I don't know if you saw this this past week, um, the Turkish parliament in the country of Turkey, their parliament was meeting and with all the stuff going on uh, in Israel and all the craziness, um, this member of parliament in Turkey stood up at the podium with all of parliament before him and cursed Israel. I mean, cursed them, cursed them, cursed them, and boom, had a heart attack and dropped dead. Yeah, I mean, it's on the news. I mean, you just go, whoa. I mean, there's a part of me that goes, yeah. I know I shouldn't feel that way. I mean, I get it, but I kind of feel that way because, you know, God doing his thing. I mean, you know. But you go, better be careful. God's got a plan. You go to cursing God's plan. You better look out. Here's another thing we have to do if we want God to do the impossible. Change your expectation. Luke 1, verse 34. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen I'm a virgin. Same thing Zachariah said, right? How can this happen? We're too old. How can this happen? I'm a virgin. Verse 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, will, will be, the baby to be born will be holy. So it's not a natural process. It's a supernatural process. Holy because he hadn't inherited his sin nature from his parents because his parents aren't earthly. And he will be called the son of God. So you see how you get the whole trinity there too, by the way. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High, that's the Father, will overshadow you. Boom, you're going to be pregnant. It's a supernatural thing. There was nothing physical involved in this. God just, boom, 
put his son in Mary's womb. Verse 36. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. And people used to say she was barren. But she's now in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. Ha! Don't you love that? Then I love Mary's response. Look what she does. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Hmm. Mary responds with humility, faith, obedience. I mean, she didn't say, ho, 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 don't I get a vote in this? What, what if, hey, whoa, whoa, what if I don't want to do this? Now, let it be as you said. Why? Because she had a humble, faithful, obedient heart to God. God, I am your servant. Use me. Hmm. But I promise you that came with some hard things. She had to go tell her fiance, Joseph, I'm pregnant. I mean, what do you think that looked like? I mean, we know because of Matthew's gospel that Joseph eventually knows and he's going to divorce her quietly because he was a good man and he didn't want to publicly shame her. So he's going to put her away quietly. And then an angel comes in a dream and says, don't do it. This is of God. So there's an implication there that he knew she was pregnant. Likely, she knew from, he knew from her. And it also means, the implication is, he didn't believe her. Right? Because he's going to divorce her and put her away. So Mary goes, has this conversation. What do you think that was like? Joseph, sit down. I need to tell you something. I'm pregnant. And the Holy Spirit just made me pregnant. What? I mean, it took an angel from God to convince him, right? You think that was hard? I mean, what would people think? (laughs) Had to leave town because of this census thing, and Caesar Augustus said everybody's got to get registered I mean what what will giving birth to the son of God be like I mean getting pregnant was easy the angel just said you're pregnant and I'm pregnant I mean is that how it's going to happen I mean it's going to happen completely supernatural where I get time and then I'm just holding a baby I mean it's a, no God put his son in Mary's womb. She got pregnant. She got bigger. She gave birth in a very natural way. You think she wondered? I mean, what's that going? And I'm in a stable for crying out loud. Mm. Here's something I've learned in my life. If you need God to do the impossible for you, I guarantee you it will require that you believe God and that believing God will likely require something hard. 
You know why? We live in a broken world and we are in a war. And in a broken world, there is always a cost to surrendering everything to Jesus. Here's another thing. You need God to do the impossible? Respond to what God says with faith. Verse 39. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. I love that, man. I mean, she's jacked up about it. I mean, the angel said, hey, Elizabeth's pregnant too. Man, soon she gets, she's off. Man, I can't wait to get there. This whole thing's going on. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now remember what Gabriel said to Zacharias, the baby will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. So here's Mary with Jesus, Elizabeth pregnant with John, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, John is filled with the Holy Spirit, he gets it, that this is the Lord God Almighty, Israel's Messiah, the promised one, just entered the room and he leaps. Hmm. Verse 42. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of the Lord should visit me. Now, this is a big deal. How'd she know that? I mean, the angel didn't tell Zechariah that Mary was going to be pregnant, it's going to be the coming Messiah, and that John was going to be the forerunner. No, just you're going to have a baby in your old age. So, how'd she? <laughs> Jesus, unborn, enters the womb. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit. You got that whole dynamic going on. Here's what I know. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. I think the Holy Spirit just let them all know. <laughs> Verse 44. When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Wow. By the way, have you ever thought about this? In that text, we get it that babies in the womb can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that kind of changes the way you pray for an unborn baby, right? The Holy Spirit can work before a baby's even born. <laughs> so Jesus comes in unborn, John's unborn. John leaps for joy. I mean, they're doing this thing, man. I mean, you know, I don't know what I don't know what that was like. I mean, what was I mean, what's that like? Unborn babies, man. They're like, hey, John, Jesus, hey, what's going on, man? You amazing. Okay. Back to the original question. Do you need God to do 
something that seems impossible for you. Do you need God now to do what seems impossible for you? So let's ask a couple questions. How are you limiting God by what you believe about him? Elizabeth told Mary, this is happening because you believed God. How are you limiting God by what you believe about him? That God's real but not personal, that God cares but not enough to get active in my life. Has your obedience to God positioned you to have impact for God? What's your life look like? Because you want God to do something impossible, but maybe there's so much junk in your life you can't even get to God. I mean, you can't. You gotta clean your life up, man. In what area of your life are you disobeying God? Will you humble yourself, repent, and obey? Look, I can't count the number of times in my life I've seen God do something in somebody else's life that seemed impossible. but he did it. Maybe you're thinking, <laughs> yeah, but I'm not favored of God. I, I'm not all that thing. Well, how do you know that? Mary didn't know she was favored by God till Gabriel told her. Hmm. God is a God of grace. Will you trust him to do the impossible for you? I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Everybody just stand to your feet and bow your heads and close your eyes. And here's what I want you to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Can you right now Just acknowledge to God, just as earnestly as you can from your heart to God. God, I believe you, and you are God, and that means nothing is impossible with you. But there's something in my life right now that seems impossible, and I need your help. God, I humbly, honestly repent of the things in my life that dishonor you and I, I wanna position myself for you to do the impossible. Now here's what I want you to do. We're gonna sing. And when we start singing, if you right now need God to do the impossible for you, you, you know what it is, you know the thing. 
I want you to just step out of your seat. I want you to come down here and find a place at this altar and just humble yourself before God and ask God to do the impossible and acknowledge to him you believe he's going to do it. You ready? Come on right now. Who can come? I need God to do something impossible. Praise the Lord. Come on, we're going to sing. As we sing, you come.